Welcome to the Indigenous Vision Podcast. This is officially our 27th episode. My name is Melissa. Hello, everybody. My name is Suta, and we're here today with a special guest, Kola Schippentower. Kola, how are you? Hey, hey, I am good. How are you ladies doing? I am super excited about this. This is great. We have a good conversation ahead of us today. Indigenous Vision, we do the self-defense thing, and Kola Schippentower um, has a great story creating an action plan. And right away, I'll just let everybody, well, I'll let you tell everybody about the action plan. Okay. Um, I guess really quickly, uh, my name is Kola Schippentower Thompson. I am a, a tribal member of the Umatilla Indian Reservation out here in Pendleton, Oregon. So we're in Eastern Oregon. We're on the not so fun side of Oregon. Everybody knows Portland, all the big buildings and everything. I'm on the opposite side. I'm on the better side. <laughs> I'm most known for my MMA career and jujitsu, but I feel like my most purposeful work and what creator asked for me to do started in 2016 when I co-founded a nonprofit organization called Enough is Enough. It was our response to a local shooting that happened where a family member of, of mine was really badly injured and where another friend of mine was actually killed. So it was our response to that shooting happening. And it was myself and my business partner. And we had come together with this common sense of being for lack of a better word, I'm not sure uh, how explicit we get on this podcast here, but we were both very pissed off mama bears and we wanted to show up and say, no, we are still here. This is our home. You don't get to come in here and act like this. This is not who we are. So we started this nonprofit organization thinking we we're just going to hold like community events. We have literally never said no to any type of event. So we did like anti-bullying seminars. We did community cleanups. Uh, we had a lot of speaking engagements in regards to MMIW and MMIR. And, you know, with the pandemic, it kind of really set us back, basically, hold still, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic now, we need to kind of calm down and figure out what this space is going to be. Unfortunately, my sister, Willa Wallace, my business partner as well, her family had kind of gone through some, um, some health things. So on top of the pandemic, it made it really, really difficult. So What's really been awesome about our partnership is that we very much understand each other in our own personal lives. She said, you know what, do what you need to do. If you see an opportunity, go for it. Like I support you 110%. And if I'm able to come back, I'll come back. So 2020 really allowed for this time for me to sit and reflect and figure out what it was that I was wanting to do, uh, continuing this work and how we were going to do that virtually. And then 2021 came in, I got this whole new energy, this whole new vibe to me where I was just like, yo, let's go. I'm ready to keep moving, keep doing stuff. So I relaunched our podcast that we started in 2018, 2021, we kicked it off again. And so um, I've been steadily keeping that going. So to be honest, this is always really fun for me when I'm asked to come onto a podcast, because usually I'm the interviewer, not the interviewee. That's always really fun. And it's, it's nice for me to kind of sit back and be like, all right, you just let me know what you want to hear from me. Um, but last year, I had started a project called the Wisautsa project. Wisautsa in the Umatil language means I am rising or uh, kind of the a version of rise above, which was a phrase that I coined during my MMA career, being an indigenous woman coming from domestic violence, sexual assault, um, and alcoholism saying, no matter the situation, you're always going to be able to rise above as long as you got that heart set and that mindset. So that phrase really spoke to me and I'm like, you know, this kind of fits really appropriately with uh, this safety training that, I, that I've got going on. 2020 was a really tough year for me. I was actually a CPS screener for our tribe. And 
people that don't know what CPS is, as Child Protective Services, we're essentially supposed to be the big bad guy. It's really tough for people in social work when you have the right, right mindset about it and you really have a heart for your people. There's always a negative connotation when it comes to social work because it's, it's dealing with children and it's really, really hard. In all honesty, it's not the line of work that I wanted to go into. Law enforcement has always been my jam and that's where I've been wanting to go. But I found myself in this position, hopefully navigating into this new position of law enforcement. I had a direct supervisor who was supposed to lead me and show me what it was that he did, which was the lead detective for our tribe, and to assist me in my own career development to essentially take over his position at some point. So um, fast forward through my little bit of a career there, and I ended up being sexually harassed by him. It was really, really tough, and it really hits people. When you're coming from a survivor standpoint, I had already been through a couple bouts with domestic violence. I was sexually assaulted when I was 18 years old. So I already have PTSD and having run-ins with the law in the past. I also had PTSD from law enforcement and the brutality that's faced there, especially for the BIPOC community. So it was really, really difficult having someone that I was supposed to be able to trust, somebody that was my direct immediate supervisor, put it right back on me all over again and having to go through that. So this set off into a very long litigation process. It was really overwhelming. It was emotional and it just is not fun. I was being told to wait it out. We're going to figure out what's going on over here on top of being isolated during the pandemic. And for me, I think it's really important for people, especially victims or survivors to recognize what your coping mechanisms are. And um, I've been sober for over six years. So I've developed some healthier mechanisms here. And for me, it's training and competing and traveling. Those are huge for me. So when I'm being told, everybody in the world is being told, stay home. We can't go anywhere. We have to stay home. On top of this man has actually come to your house before looking for you. Luckily, I wasn't home when that happened. And being like, is he going to show up? What's going to happen if he does show up? What, what am I going to do? Like I can physically take care of myself, but what about my kids? What about all these other aspects of somebody that's really good with documentation? Like that's what he's supposed to be really good at. My husband and I started to really sit down and reflect on what it was going to be needed to ensure my personal safety. Now it was a very trying experience. It was a very overwhelming experience. All the things that I kind of went through and I feel really blessed that I had the support of my parents and my husband and also my husband is law enforcement. He is a fish and game officer, but also can work as patrol for our local tribal police department. So any of your, any of the listeners can be like, wait, did he work with him? Yes, he did. So it was pretty challenging for him to hold his tongue, not do what our men want to do, which is protect us. So, so my hat's off to him, props to him. Like I, it was, it was really difficult, but he really was key to the research portion of this. So I was able to really pick his brain. What is it that people really should be taking into consideration when it comes to their safety? What, what does this look like? What's going to be best? And this was our response also to the epidemic of MMIR, MMIW. I mean, this has been going on for years, generations. Like we, we've been facing this epidemic for a really, really long time. But in the past five years, we've really started raising awareness, talking about it and giving all the statistics. And I was getting really tired of that. I'm like, I could sit here and preach about this till I'm blue in the face, but nobody's really going to understand it. For one, they don't have the heart to hear it. And then the other side is what are we giving our, our women, our indigenous women, other than more statistics and more scare factor of take this into consideration. So 
considering all the things that I've gone through, I said, you know, I really want to make a plan. If this was so overwhelming for me, time consuming, and you, you know, monetarily, like kind of, it hits you a little bit. How can we make this a little easier for our women? So I started writing it out. I started writing out the plan. I started writing out all the steps that I had taken. And I'm like, you know, this is still, this is still a lot. So I had used my business degree. I kind of picked up some software techniques. So I'm like, Hey, I can make this into a pretty PDF and kind of maybe just giving it to people. So we developed the Wisauta project, created this really nice PDF where people can really just fill it out. My husband wasn't the only one that I picked on when I was creating this project. I have quite a few friends in law enforcement and corrections with the state of Oregon. And then I also work with a lot of other advocates for MMIW and MMIR. So a lot of research, a lot of thought and consideration went into this to see what was going to be the best way. So in a nutshell, the best part about the Wisauta project is we are essentially outsmarting the police. Anyone that's ever had someone go missing, when you go to make that very first initial missing persons report, we are often told you have to wait 72 hours. Another line is they're probably going to come back. What are you so worried about? Or, oh, she probably met a guy and she just doesn't want to come back home yet. Or maybe they just took off and wanted to go get away for the weekend sort of thing. So the Wisauta Project basically throws all those lines right back into the police officers' faces. And to be completely transparent and honest, there is no code. There is no law that says that we have to wait 72 hours. That is just a BS line that law enforcement will give you so you'll get off of them and say, you know what, y'all just need to wait and be chill. So it's taking all the really annoying, tedious work that police officers have to do within the first 24 hours, the, the stuff that we know. Like, I know that they wouldn't have gone off to this place. They would have gone to hold me in this amount of time. No, 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 no. They didn't have a boyfriend, they didn't have anybody, but they did have an abusive ex or they did gain a stalker when they were going to the gym. So it puts all this stuff into one pretty PDF that you can give to police if you're making a missing persons report about them and saying, we're not waiting 72 hours. This is the plan that we had. So we need to start getting boots to the pavement and start looking. On top of that, which is super important, if that does happen, what I love the most about this specific training is that it is building and bringing to light the confidence, the resiliency, the strength that the participants have already. And it's just saying it is okay to be weird. It's okay to be loud as long as you stay alive and make it home that day. It's okay to do all these things to ensure your safety for yourself and for your loved ones. So that is a very long explanation as to what the Risalta project is, what went into the, the research stuff. And, you know, it's an ongoing process, maybe through, through this uh, recording or this episode, we'll be able to kind of get into some of the more recent things that are going on with it. But that is essentially what the Risalta project is. Beautiful. And I have a couple. I didn't even write the questions down. So let me see if I can roll them out. Out of the two of us, Melissa has more formal interview training than I do. And I'm just like, let's have a visit. Um, <laughs> but oh my goodness, the cops, like talk about PTSD surrounding cops and the relationship with law enforcement on reservations and having that be traumatic. And it's really cool that you and your your husband were in law enforcement, which kind of good for us, sad for you, made you the perfect person in this hard situation because I know on my reservation, the Blackfeet reservation, uh, we have had uh, scandals or, or, or issues with cops 
uh, predating on young girls. And so as a young girl on my reservation in the 90s, it was kind of scary to get arrested or have the cops called on you because I knew as a young 13-year-old that there, you know, there was one that was like a predator and he he was a known predator and all of the young girls knew none of the bosses were doing anything. Um, so it's really scary to think about the situations that are continuing to happen out there just like that and how you were you had your support i'm so glad you had that support because the outcome which is this action plan is so needed by our community me and melissa were just talking before you jumped on that both of our moms uh, use an app that lets them know our location in the world um, within 20 feet and mine mine is called life 360 and I just leave it on and let my mom know like there's no place I'm going that I, I don't care like my mom knows it all and then um, so keeping track of that but then also similarly like Indigenous Vision has started the self-defense training which was community activity and then like fiscal not fiscal sponsorship but like sponsorship and we would send out an agenda and a facilitator's guide and pay for the instructor and then the host community host Yakima did one and then Browning Montana did another class um, but self-defense is one of the last let's see so for this action plan we're going to put a link in the description of this podcast but I just want to quickly go through some of the aspects of this action plan. And Kola mentioned it. One, find your support. Identify the places you go. Schedule notifications with your support team. Save emergency contacts. Share electronic device passwords. Create a red flag list, which is really important for those of us in previous toxic relationships. Share the places you turn to for solace, like where to look for you. Put local police dispatch on speed dial. Create alternative routes. Train your mind to think in detailed descriptions, which is just amazing. Uh, one of the things, consider security cameras or uh, for your home or your vehicle and take self-defense and weapons training. And that is why I was like, oh my God, we got to have Cola on right now because the self-defense training, I looked into it before we started offering it a few years back, is a group in the East have done it in research with high school girls and they are able to follow these high school girls all throughout college and their life as young women. And they found that these girls taking self-defense in their high school years were 50% less likely to find themselves in violent situations in their college years and as young women. And it's because of the, the situational awareness, I, I think, is you don't even have to get to the self-defense part if your situ oh, situational awareness is on point. Um, because then we're looking around and we're aware of what's going on around us. And we can usually remove ourselves from those situations before they get to the point where self-defense is required. We do. Um, so Indigenous Vision wants to steer you towards that action plan. And then we also want to make women and girls and two spirits aware that Indigenous Vision has a sponsorship program. And we're going to sponsor six weeks of your self-defense training at any gym across the nation because it works. And six, we pick six weeks. And I've heard from other instructors that six weeks is a is the really the the right amount of time for your body to develop that muscle memory so that when you're in a chaotic situation, your body takes over and you, you don't have to. Yeah. So six weeks and six weeks also happened to be the amount of time that I could afford 
to get training back in 2005 or 2006. And I found a gym, a judo gym that was just down the block from my apartment after I had been kind of like verbally assaulted by this mentally handicapped neighbor. And the reservation I come from, my sisters are the scrappers. (laughs) They're the scary ones. Um, And so I always felt like if I'm not with my sisters, somebody's going to probably want to get revenge on me when I'm not with them. Right. And so I have to be able to be safe when I'm by myself and I don't have their protection. And so that was another reason for self-defense. And I could only afford those six weeks. But I think three months went by. I went home to the res and we were hanging out in the basement playing pool and watching video games. And then a party comes over. You know, it's a very typical res party situation, two parties, like we're hanging out, they're hanging out, they come over, but they were really really drunk. And one of the girls and our friends got mad at them. And then a fight broke out and they were separated. And I heard get her, get her. And I had never been in a fight in my entire life before, like super opposite of, of your, your professional training. And so, you know, my mind, I'm like, I'm going to freeze or uh, like just crumple in and take the beating. But holy cow, that six weeks of judo self-defense training saved my face, saved my life. I have no idea. Saved the night. But I was time slowed down for me. And it still trips me out at this. And and I would love to hear more about your training in this. Um, but when you're trained and your muscles have that memory, like your brain could be going chaotic, but it didn't. It was like time slowed down for me. And she was running at me in slow motion. I was like perceiving the crowd noises in slow motion. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to punch her. I'm going to punch her. Oh my God, I'm going to punch somebody. And I'm having this all internal dialogue. And then at the last minute, I'm like, I don't want to punch her. She's too close to punching distance is way too close for my like, comfort so I kicked her and I stacked just the way they taught me I was you I couldn't be pushed over from any direction I was sure of it and I was ready and I was gonna punch and I kicked and it was perfectly executed thank you judo sakura gym uh, (laughs) for teaching me that because I lent and I felt bad because she was much shorter than me I'm tall 5'10 and I hold 180 pounds, like just gorgeously. And so like, I'm huge to this little five, four woman who my foot just took up a good part of her stomach and her chest. And if I had let her jump on me, she would have she would have demolished me, but I was able to keep her away. And I closed the door and locked it, ran upstairs and closed the door and locked it. And it saved the whole night. And and I still am just amazed by how time slowed down. And that's what I wanted to, to share with other women is when we're in those moments of crisis, just a little bit of training can help us navigate our way out of that. And so I really appreciate the, the action plan you've made and that taking self-defense is so important. So right here, listeners, we have an action plan and we have six weeks of free self-defense training. So there is no reason to not take your own safety into your hands. And that's the most, we can't rely on our boyfriends, our husbands, law enforcement, uh, boyfriends and husbands. Not that those are together for one. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they're um, out but here having like, both my boyfriend <laughs> or my husband. <laughs> Neither of them can protect me, <laughs> but we can't, we, you know, and especially for some girls, like we can't even rely on the law enforcement on our reservations to protect us. And so this is really 
critical training. And I, I always think about, okay, if every reservation high school had self-defense as part of the PE curriculum, we would be, oh, that just gives me chills. We would be able to drop our disproportionate rates of sexual assault, like that one in three women, maybe we can make it like, or one in two women, excuse me. Maybe we can make it less than that. Maybe we can make it the normal one out of three women will experience sexual, but we're just so, what are we so beautiful and exotic that we just we ask for it? Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> I don't even think um, a lot of people even realize that something like self-defense is even an option. I mean, I didn't even think of it until I was a much older person, despite all of the incidences that I've had throughout my life. And now I'm at the level like where I want to own a firearm and learn how to use it properly because I live alone in a big, crazy city, you know? So this is, uh, it's really eye-opening for a lot of people. And I don't, I just don't think that, People even thought of it as an option to get yourself trained. Yeah. So if you're interested, or I think if you're just an Indigenous woman, no matter what age you are, have an action plan um, shared with your bestie, have an action plan shared with your employer. And these are the things that we need to do for our community. And and, and I mostly want to impress uh, this information on high school girls. So if you learn this information and you learn these protocols early in your life, you're setting yourself up for a less traumatic life. Like you're, you're actually going to be um, stopping the chances that you'll get into an abusive relationship to begin with. Because I think Cola and I recognize as 30-somethings where we are, in hindsight, we saw all those red flags, right? We saw all those red flags and we just ignored them as young women because people change. Who knows? We love them. Who knows? But please share your action plan. Find a support group. There are other women in your community who have experienced abuse and lateral violence. And, and there, I absolutely know that there is support networks within every one of our communities. And I happen to like East Oregon. <laughs> I'm from, I'm calling from Missoula, Montana right now. Yeah, I've been there. We were actually just there uh, a week ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. So, um, so my husband and I, he's a fish and game officer, but one thing that really connects us is our buffalo hunt. So I actually run into some of your people when we go out to buffalo hunt. So it was really interesting that you brought up um, your law enforcement because I had a run in with them. Thing, things are still happening that shouldn't be happening. So I don't know if any of your local law enforcement will hear this, but if they hear my name, they're gonna be like, oh, it's that girl. We remember her from there. So that's really, that was really interesting that you brought that up. But, you know, some uh, common misconception when people are hearing the Wasalta Project, uh, safety training, and then they tie it to my name. Oh, Cola Shippentower, she's the one that does the MMA. She's the fighter. They often think that when they're coming onto the Zoom training that I'm gonna be going through some sort of uh, physical self-defense training class for them. So often people are really surprised by this. And I love that you brought this up because I am not opposed to people taking a Saturday seminar that's like four hours long to learn self-defense techniques um, by like a defense tactics trainer. I'm not opposed to that. But what I like to tell my participants is you have to be realistic. I do not expect you to retain information from four hours on a Saturday, say, either even the next day or like a month from that training, I do not expect you to retain the information from that four hours in a high intense, stressful situation, a a situation where your life depends on this gooseneck hold that you were shown at a seminar. Also during the pandemic, we're virtual. So 
Um, I know that there was a lot of groups. I've actually taken a few of the trainings, kind of participated in them, wanted to see what they were like virtually self-defense training. It's really, really hard uh, to understand the movements and the techniques. I mean, you totally understand this with judo. Like you have to have your hands on someone. You have to have a partner to understand the body awareness, what you're capable of, where you need to shift weight to in one spot, maybe to another, or how you need to hold someone's hand. A little micro adjustment can mean uh, between just straining someone's joint and then actually breaking that joint, like little micro movement, like half a centimeter can mean just the biggest difference. So doing physical self-defense training virtually was really difficult. Um, but I also really stress, I'm a huge advocate for people taking on consistent physical training. So like the, what you're offering is the six weeks of training is amazing. And I know that you can attest to this as well as as soon as you get done with that six weeks, girl, you're probably going to want to stick with it. I love jujitsu. I could have said that I wanted to only try it a couple of times, but boom, I fell in love with it. And I wanted to keep going. There's something really, really empowering with understanding your body and what it's capable of. And so I really stress and I advocate that for our participants is that regardless of if it's the physical self-defense training, like judo, Krav Maga, jujitsu, boxing, karate, whatever the case may be on the other side, when we're talking about self-defense weaponry, when people are wanting to like, should I get a firearm then? Or should it same thing? You have to be able to consistently train with it. So I, I definitely do not say, yeah, go buy a gun. Make sure you have your, your concealed permit and you're good to go. That's probably a more dangerous situation because then you're just supplying a possible weapon for an assailant to use against you. But if you're going out into like a range and using it, getting familiar with like how powerful it is. Like, I don't think people understand how powerful a firearm could be. And then maybe even considering taking trainings with the imitation devices, the fake ones where they're plastic or silicone, and you're learning how to maneuver with them. You're learning, like if you got taken down, like how are you going to pull it out of your holster or wherever it may be and maneuvering in that sort of way. Same thing with knives. There's a, a lot of people are like, well, I carry a knife. I'm like, well, that's cool. Like, but do you know how to get to it? when you need it? Do you understand the laws of your state? Um, state of Oregon is you cannot conceal carry a knife. You have to actually have it open for people in the public to see it unless you have a proper permit for it, which a lot of people don't want to do. Are you, are you familiar with grabbing it from wherever it's at to be able to pull it out to use it in a self-defense situation? So those are really important aspects that a lot of people need to understand that when they're coming to take the Wisalza project, it is very much um, the action plan. It's getting your mind right, getting your heart set right. Why is it so important. And then the physical self-defense part, people need to understand consistent training is really, really important. And, and like in the story that you shared, um, it kicks in very naturally. And I haven't talked about this in a public platform before, but I struggled with alcoholism quite a bit. And like I said, I'm, I'm almost seven years sober. I'm closer to the seven year mark than I was a six year mark. But when I had decided to quit drinking, I was probably on year three of my MMA journey. So I had um, multiple fights under my belt. I had been training. I'd gone to lots of different competitions for jujitsu and I decided to go out with some friends. I, it's, I think about it now. I'm like, why did this even happen? There was really no, no initiation. There was no warning. There was none of that. It was very random, very sudden. Um, I had actually been jumped by four to four girls at once outside of a bar. And I cannot tell you how crazy, like you described it, it goes slow motion it's almost like time stands still because your body is so aware of almost compartmentalizing between just living and then defending. 
So, or even living and then surviving, like it, it kind of like pulls them apart and my body, all my techniques, all my training, everything kicked in. And I think that I probably without that training, that situation can end up very, very dark for me and very, very unsafe for me. But because of the training that I had, it reversed it. Those girls definitely did not come out looking the same. I very much just wanted to get away, but they, they kept coming full force. It was four girls. And, you know, two of those girls were very much, much bigger than I was. They were over six foot. They were twins. So um, kudos to them for like thinking that they had each other's back, but it just wasn't going to help their situation at the time. But very much everything I knew, like how to block a punch, how to counteract my weight against somebody else's kicked in. And I was able to get them to a point where they would just stop. And then I could get up and get away and call law enforcement and say, Hey, this situation happened. I defended myself. I did what I needed to do to get away. And I hadn't thought about that, that experience or that situation until you brought up your story. And I was like, it is very, very true. So it isn't super important. And you know, when you're, when you're really trying to speak and, you know, lack of a better word, target, say middle schoolers or high school students. I remember being in high school and I remember thinking how invincible I am. Oh, I know everything. Mom, you need to chill. You don't need to know where I'm at every two seconds. I got this. So coming from women who have been there and understood and hindsight is 2020 when we're looking back thinking, wow, I could have probably really avoided that situation if I understood what that guy's words meant in that moment. My situation that experience could have not ever have happened if I knew what it meant to be placed in a car the way I was or to be taken to an isolated location what all of that would have meant no it wasn't going to a party it wasn't any of that this was really really weird situations now I think back on it as a as an adult woman um there are a lot of situations you know that's the reality of it is that a lot of the situations that I had put myself through the harsh reality of it is that I I should not be alive and sitting here telling the story today because statistically that has happened to many of our women and they never returned home. So there's times where I question it. I'm like, why, why me? Why am I still here as opposed to my cousin or my aunts that were just going out to have a good time and they didn't come home? Why, why, why is it like that? But that's what I think is really important for um, these teenage girls to understand is you are strong. You are amazing. You are powerful. You are beautiful but you are not invincible. There are going to be predatory individuals out there. And we just want to give you the tools to understand what signs to recognize, what behavior to recognize, what words are not okay, what you're allowing to happen to you. It's okay to listen to someone else. And it might trigger in your mind like, wow, that person is saying that to me. And that's not okay. No, that's not normal. Um, because someone who's gone through ex- this experience is sharing it with me that it's not okay. So that, that would be my thoughts for girls that are like in high school thinking like I'm good. Like, I know everything. Girl, no, you do not. Like, I wish I had somebody right there in my face telling me, girl, you do not. Like, other than my mom. Because, of course, we all think like that towards our moms. Like, you're always just on my back about something. But, you know, if I had someone else outside that was specific in this field of work telling me, nope, nope, nope. Like, we've got to we got to break this down. we got to think about this. Let's get into this. So this is, this is really awesome. The conversation that we're having around this and you sharing your experiences with me definitely helps motivate me, inspire me to continue, you know, this type of work. So I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, I love that you brought up the teenage girls thing because that's what I think about the most is like, how do we get through the girls who were just like me? I mean, I started partying really young. I was 14. I was already going out there driving my parents crazy. And now that I'm older, I'm seeing a lot of my younger cousins who are doing that. They take off for the weekend. Everybody's freaked out, but you just cannot get through to them. And that's one of the biggest challenges that I like keeps me up at night. It's like, how can we get to the young ladies? that there's just so much more involved, the situational awareness, not just being, you know, learning self-defense, but just being mentally present and aware of like red flags because it just continues on for generation after generation. So I often think like, how can we begin the mental process of people being alert, people being present, people being and wanting to take care of themselves in, in the way that no one had showed me how to do until I figured it out for myself when I was much older. So that's the kind of stuff that I often think about. And I think that we're just having this conversation is a really good start to that. But I'm, I'm still, I'm still stumped on how to like get through to some people sometimes. And it, it kind of worries me. I'm like, there's so many others who are just like me. And it took me, unfortunately, a couple of incidences and 20 years to like get it together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 50% of the Native American population is under the age of 30, which is uh, huge considering we got a bunch of um, young people coming up and, and we have a chance to set away. And right now it seems like the way is chaos <laughs> for everything from the reservation to MMIW. And when you guys were talking it brought back this memory of, so we have an office, I was supposed to start it here in Missoula, Montana, I'm still working at a home. Um, but we have an office in Phoenix, Arizona as well. And at that office, it's a co working space, and we have glass walls in between the office. And there was a guy from an office sitting behind me. And he asked me what kind of map I was working on. And this is before we had them separated. So we have an, an MMIW map, a hate map, which is uh, self-reported discrimination events across Canada and the US. And then uh, we mirror that with an injustice map. And so, oh, and also with known hate groups mapped by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And so I com combined these three layers and I think I only had maybe 55 MMIPs mapped. And this gentleman knocks on my door and um, says, hey, what are you working on? He said, that map, what are you working on? And I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a missing murdered indigenous people's map. This is people who have gone missing or been found murdered in these places. Most of them are cold cases. And he said, can I show you something? I got up from my desk and I said, yes, please. And, and he quit, pulled up Google. He pulled up the sex trafficking routes. He pulled up the drug trafficking routes and he pulled up other black market routes. And so all of these routes follow our interstates and my MMIP map, which only had 50 people on it, which I'm telling you guys, it's not that much data to have on it, but he, he was like, st statistically, this is enough data to show a pattern. And it was, it was a clear circle. And then he overlapped the drug trafficking and the sex trafficking and the black market organ routes and all of that match. It perfectly matched y'all. 
So as Indigenous women, we have to deal with the lateral violence in our communities, the toxicity that's been infused in us since settlement and all of that nasty stuff and the way it makes us, our internal dialogue and the way it makes us treat others, which is totally not Indigenous at all. And then we have to deal with our border towns. And then we have to deal with like white nationalists who hate brown people and, and <laughs> or supremacists. Um, and, and then we have to deal with this black market uh, and we're seen as a disposable population. So we need things like this action plan. Every single high school girl, every single native woman needs one of these plans because we're being abducted from like the age of three. And there's no age limit that it seems to be stopping at, which makes me feel like, okay, well, that maybe they're harvesting organs then because <laughs> because uh, the, the, the age range is so young to so old, but it's out there. Those trafficking routes perfectly matched up with a little bit of MMIW site markers I had. And so we have a lot of threats to our community. And I think it's going to take all of us raising our voice, raising our actions, supporting each other, supporting Cola's action plan. And I just love where she came from because she has that insider info of what cops work like and and how traumatic it is to have the law enforcement like not believe us or abuse their power and tell a narrative of something that didn't happen and so yeah thank you for being on and i i hope that this conversation helps people find safety can you uh leave us with your website ways to forward donations to your nonprofit anything like that yeah, absolutely. So I can be found on Instagram. My personal page is at Cola Shipping Tower. And then our nonprofit Instagram page is at EIE541. Both of those pages, you can actually find the link tree in there. It has absolutely everything that you're needing for links to podcasts, links to the more possible trainings and opportunities that are coming up for the Wisauta Project. The Wisauta Project PDF is in my link tree and is absolutely free. I do not charge for this training. I do not charge for people printing off the PDF. The only thing that I ask is that when you go in there and you print it off, make two copies, make one for yourself and then make one for a loved one, a friend, anyone that you think can utilize it as well. Um, so that they have that. And um, all the donation links, anything else that you need is gonna be in that link tree. Everything's absolutely on there. I try to put it all in one spot so people didn't have to try to go all over the place, but everything's on Instagram, on um, I do have a Facebook page. Uh, it's public. I post everything, but I always reach my 5,000 cap on friends. <laughs> so, and I have to try to be good with my energy. Instagram is just the best place for me right now. So Facebook is, I think it's kind of dwindling. It almost feels like kind of just going off into the, for me anyways, <laughs> I think everybody likes Twitter for the drama stuff. Now Facebook is no longer it. Right. I abuse my or neglect my Twitter. What are uh, and so finally, like, I just want to end with um, one thing because we're women in hard work, emotional hard work. Uh, what are what's one way that you like recenter yourself or ground yourself or find your peace, check out and, and recharge to continue doing this work? Wow. This is a really good question because I received some really upsetting and disheartening news yesterday in regards to this whole case that I went through last summer. And I'm going to be, I think one of the, the best things that I can do, especially in heavy work like this, whether you're an advocate, a survivor, an ally, or someone who's just trying to work on self-preservation is complete honesty. 
with yourself most importantly, but maybe with others that you're working with, because we're all in this work together and we're all just trying to get to the same end goal, but in complete transparency and honesty, yesterday I received word that my abuser is actually being reinstated into his position after a year long process of litigation and just hardship and stuff. It's just been really difficult. So it's really interesting that you asked that question because before we got on here, I was, you know, trying to sit and reflect and trying to figure out what, what is this that we're doing? Like all this work this past year and trying to advocate for our people. This is just another piece of proof to this whole story that it doesn't matter how much documentation, evidence, things that you can bring forward, our people are still being abused. Our indigenous women are still being placed on the back burner and utilized and abused in whatever way other people are seeing fit. And white people, law enforcement are being prioritized and for some reason being shown that they're more important than the rest of us. And it gets really, really frustrating. So today has been a, a pretty a pretty tough day for me, but the best piece of advice that I could give, especially for this type of hard work and centering yourself and keeping yourself grounded is being completely honest with yourself and allowing yourself to feel absolutely everything. So it's important to always feel those happy moments, those excited moments, those moments of pride and success. It's really important to allow yourself to feel those, but it's really important to allow yourself to feel when you're sad, to feel when you're pissed off and angry, um, to feel when you're frustrated and confused and upset. Allow yourself to feel that. Go through that process. Do your best not to suppress it. I often bring up this analogy of a glass jar with sand. Our feelings, the things that we go through, our experiences are like sand that are filling up this jar. But if we don't put them someplace else outside this jar, that jar is going to burst. And that can look like the form of alcoholism, addiction, suicide, self-harm, things like that. So when you're processing these feelings, when you're feeling them and navigating through them, have your support put in place. If it's your parents, if it's your significant other, if it's uh, a best friend, or um, if you're having a hard time, like I just really don't have anyone to talk to, find other advocates like uh, this beautiful group of ladies right here. I know that we're always willing to take on a message and say, hey, I can help out in any sort of way. I can, I can talk you through this or we could talk about it. Um, I myself am not a certified counselor by any means. I am just another person walking through life and trying to go through this as well. But I will sure as heck do my best to let you know how important you are, how valued you are and how seen you are. So um, going through even social media, that's the best part about the level of sophistication of technology today is the the instant response that we can have right now and being able to find other resources. So I know I have a lot of participants that are like, well, I don't have my parents anymore, or I don't have siblings. I'm an only child, or I, I haven't been able to make really good friends. So I don't have anyone that I trust like that. You can always utilize social media to your advantage. And you could find outside sources. I know, especially for the indigenous community, relying on IHS is really hard for us because we don't want to go to our local IHS clinic and be like, Hey, I need to see a counselor because we're worried about the, the victim shaming, the blaming, or the judgment when just walking into that building. So now we have all these uh, resources online. We can see counselors virtually. We don't have to see them in person or anything like that. So those are other options as well. But I would just say, be completely honest with yourself. Allow yourself to feel, validate those feelings, your experiences, and everything are 100% real. And you are allowed to feel that, but also have your support in place. Have people that you can talk to. Um, research the options that you have and reach out and don't feel ever alone. There are so many of us out here that are willing to share space with you, to talk with you, to 
help you navigate through this journey as well. So th- that, that would be my advice for people that are looking for ways to ground down and just, you know, just be. Thank you, Cola, for that. Thank you. So listeners, definitely be your first, be your own first support and find your support with Sokka Project and Indigenous Vision. We don't want you to just live. We want you to thrive. Um, and if you thrive, we thrive. So thank you. 